Pastor Xavier Reese with a reminder that God's light shines brightest in the darkest of times. The Shekinah glory had departed from Jerusalem in the temple as you know when Ezekiel eleven twenty three, because of all the sin, all the idolatry and all. Now God's spirit remained among them. He was there in the midst of whatever you're in. God is with you if you're walking with him. God wants you to trust in him as you walk by faith, not by sight. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Repentance is not merely the evading of wrong action. It's a march forward of living in righteousness. Today, Pastor Xavier shares a realistic example of what happens to those who turn from a life of disobedience to one of complete surrender to God. The simple truth is, it's a choice that those who claim to be followers of the Lord must make. Let's listen now to today's study from the Old Testament book of Haggai. Book of Haggai, chapter 2, please. And the message entitled, The Greater Glory of the Temple. God has uh, confronted, as you know, the people for their apathetic indifference to build that Lord's house, while yet building their own luxurious houses, and they repented in chapter 1. Now God encouraged the remnant in the work of the temple, which unfolds for us in a, a threefold movement here. Let me read verse 1 through 9 of chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who was left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is it not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now... Be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jezedek, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. The encouragement to the remnant for the work, the temple that they now are going to be involved in unfolds for us in the threefold movement. First, we have the directive regarding the proclamation in verse 1 and 2. Secondly, we have the perspective regarding the exhortation in verse 3 to 5. And thirdly, the perceptive regarding the revelation, verses 6 to 9. It begins with a directive regarding the proclamation, almost like we saw in our first message. Haggai, notice, received a second prophecy here in the seventh month of the 21st day of the month. So Haggai, once again, dated his prophecy by the reign of a Gentile king. The king of Persia, Darius Hystaspases, 521 to 486, as we said, B.C., same as chapter 1, 
verse 1. A total of four prophetic messages as you move through these two chapters are recorded that were delivered by Haggai the prophet from September to December of 520 B.C. The first one was September 1st, second here October 21st, the third is December 24th, and the fourth again December 24th. In the second one, this is one month and two days after the first one. And Zechariah begins his prophecies in this month also when we get there in Zechariah chapter 1 verse 1. Now notice Haggai again receives this message from God. It's important that we understand that these are not just the words of men. It says the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying. So the divine origin is important in the second revelation indicative by the words the word of the Lord, just like the first one. It's important because today there are many people who flaw the Bible and they believe that the Bible has errors, both in Christian colleges as well as seminaries, and they've given up the inerrancy of the scriptures, many churches. What's interesting here, this is all Old Testament we're talking about here. Jesus never found one prophecy, he found no error, he believed in the prophecy, he believed in the law, and everything. So I'll go with Jesus. And if you want to go with the PhDs, you're, you're more than welcome to, but I'll go with Jesus. Over 3,800 times we find phrases in the Old Testament such as, Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. The Lord said, Write. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. And we can go on and on and on. To indicate it was God speaking directly to the people through the instrument of a prophet. Now, Notice the name Lord, all capital letters. Again, it indicates the covenant of God, Yahweh. He delivered them from Egypt. He uh, made a covenant of blood with them there at Mount Sinai. He took them to himself in a marriage covenant. And that's why he had chastened them and put them away for unfaithfulness as an unfaithful wife in captivity. The recipients of this revelation, again, the prophet, like other prophets, Haggai, and his name, as we said, means festive or feast, and perhaps he was born uh, during those feasts, and certainly all those prophecies are declared around this time. The title gets indicative of being just a vessel of God, the one who is being the channel by which he communicates God's mind, God's will. He's the mouthpiece, the instrument. He's called a prophet five times, we said. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 and 12, and chapter 2, verse 1 and 10. And so he stands in a long line of prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all these men that really were uh, not even prophets in the line of prophets. Many of them remember that um, Amos, um, he was rebuked by the northern kingdom, told him to get away. And he said, I was a sheep breeder. I was a fruit picker. What are you telling me to leave? God called me. And God did that to call back his people when the kings and the priests and all the people got so corrupted that he would raise the people to prophesy. And many of them were rejected. Some were stoned and, you know, but they spoke the word faithfully. Now look at verse 2. Haggai was to declare the prophetic message to three individuals. Um, The first one was to the first two and we're going to have one added one. Uh, the first is Zerubbabel. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah. And again, as we said, Zerubbabel means sown in Babylon. So without doubt, he was born in the Babylonian captivity. 
Zerubbabel is the governor, and he's responsible for the oversight of all the work and everything that's going on. And governors are very important. Uh, governors oversee the people, the state, the, the region, so that the people can enjoy what they need and they can be protected. And certainly he is a, a very important person here. The second one is Joshua, and he's a high priest. So you have the line of the king, David, through Zerubbabel. Now you have the line of Aaron here. Joshua, again, means Yahweh of salvation. Uh, the Hebrew name Joshua translated to the Greek as uh, Jesus. So Yahweh of salvation is what he means. The third is the remnant here, the people, in verse 2. And they were the Jews who had returned from Babylon, the captivity, by the decree of Cyrus. And again, that's a fulfillment of God's prophecies. You find it at the end of Chronicles. You find it in the, in, in, um, the book of Ezra. And uh, it's confirmed through history. Some were old and had seen the temple of Solomon that had been destroyed. Others were young and they were born in captivity. So they never had anything to physically remind them in their mind. They just heard of the stories and, and the tradition that was passed down. The remnant were there to repatriate the nation fulfilling the prophecies of God. This was not a, a human effort. But it was a divine direction. The national life of Israel centered on the temple, the house of God, the sacrifices to atone for their sins, to be in fellowship with God, the worship of God for his holiness, his loving kindness, his faithfulness to his word for who he was. And so they had been 70 years being chastened by God. And yet all these people were now being directly spoken to by God. I think of Jeremiah, the prophet, as God called him. And he says, I'm but a babe, I cannot speak. And God says, I've made you an iron pillar, a brazen wall. Don't be dismayed before the faces as I confound you. You speak. And when Jeremiah said, I'm but a babe, God said in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations, plural. Amazing. Do you remember when God spoke to you about your lost condition and the need to be saved? The things that God forgave you for, the things that he delivered you from and set you free as you can look back and you realize the mercy and the grace of God. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I will answer you, show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Things that we have no idea about. God wants to do so many things. And, and the things that he will do in your life five years from now, two years from now, ten years from now, if the Lord tarries, will blow your mind. But you have no idea right now. All of that's so important. And so the directive regarding the proclamation was to the people of God. Very clear. Now notice secondly, in verse 3 through 5, we get the perspective regarding the exhortation. In verse 3, God wanted the people to mark the reality of the present in contrast to the past. Verse 3, God doesn't want you to live in some false reality. God will have you and help you confront the reality. Today, one of the problems of our nation is we're living in a false sense of truth. We have it with, with, with Facebook, you know, everybody's this and that. And, you know, here I am running on the bank. Who cares where you're running? Turn it off. Amazing. Everybody has their own reality show. <laughs> now notice the first question God asked through his prophet Haggai concerned those who had been alive in Jerusalem before the captivity. 
Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? The number had to have been small. The year right now is 520. If they had gone into captivity in 606, the first one, they would be in their late 70s, close to their 80s. If they were carried off in the second siege in 596 BC, they would be in their late 60s or 70s. If they went into captivity in that third siege of 586, they would be in their late 50s or 60s. There's 20 years before the, between the first and the third siege. But these older people would have seen the incredible beauty, the opulence of wealth that went into the construction of Solomon's temple. The gold, the silver, the brass, the precious stones, the jewel, the fine woodwork, the craftsmanship that Hiram and his men were commissioned to do. The way they built it with the different groups going away for certain months and coming back home being certain I mean, just the organization, everything is incredible. In 1 Kings 5 and 6, it gives you all the wealth and everything within the temple. David put much of that away. Gold, silver, brass, everything. In fact, the words of the queen of Sheba to Solomon, as she observed all the things, not only the temple, but how God had blessed them, she said in 1 Kings 10, 6-7, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land, uh, your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and I saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Notice the second question. It's a rhetorical question. How do you see it now? Now, they, they, they saw it. Now there's a comparison here. The reality of the condition of the temple had only one correct answer. Terrible, meager, deplorable to these old people. There's no comparison. Remember, the altar had been set up at the Feast of Tabernacles was observed in the seventh month, Ezra chapter 3, 1 through 7 tells us. They built booths, they made sacrifices. They appointed the Levites, the foundation of the temple was finished, and they worshipped there in Ezra chapter 3, 8 through 13. All worked together, all responded. The older men, says, wept over the inferior glory of the previous temple, but the younger men rejoiced. Here's the contrast. You see, when you've seen something and then you compare it, the older people are going to respond differently than the younger people. Now here's the lesson. These are rhetorical questions that teach them. God didn't want them to lie and say, oh, it's beautiful. No, I want you to live in reality. But God was about to do a new work. So I have to be careful that I don't despise the things that God is doing now because I'm always looking to the past. Notice the third is not a question, but it answers the second question. In comparison with it, with the Temple of Solomon, is this not in your eyes as nothing? He confirms the second. The caution is that those who have had better days in the past can despise the work of God in the present. Those same people can become a hindrance to the new work God is desiring to do. The past only helps me to understand that God has worked and He will continue to work. But the past can't tell me how He's going to work or when He's going to work. 
But it does tell me that he will work again. But I can't compare the two. Because I cannot despise the day of small things in the past, nor the ones in the present. Because whatever God is doing, that's the best thing for today. The best day of my life is today. Because it's the next day. You understand? Tomorrow, yesterday's gone. Tomorrow I'm looking forward to. Notice in verse 4. God wanted the people to depend on him in the present in contrast to the past. God commanded Zerubbabel first. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Yet now. Despite the reality that the present temple is nothing compared to the former temple, be strong. It's a command, not a suggestion. To be firm and courageous. The work would be hard and long. Zerubbabel was the governor and his example was imperative for the people as a leader depending on God to get the work done that God said he was going to do. To trust God for the provisions and the protection during this work. Read Ezra, read Nehemiah, how God protected him, all the things he did. Those aren't there just for bedtime stories. Those are there to remind you what God wants to do in your life and does do when you are so ignorant as well as myself at times. God then commanded Joshua the same thing. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Joshua needed to be firm, courageous. Rubabel, the line of the king. Joshua, the high priest. As the high priest, he was the one who brought the people to God. He was the go-between, the mediator. He needed to be right with God first. He needed to obey Him. The authority is identical, the covenant God, who would fulfill this. He would be faithful. Notice God's last command is to the remnant of the people. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Three times He says it. He, he goes out of His way to separate the people and repeat the same thing. Do you think that God just wanted to give us a fat book to read? I don't think so. He does creation in two chapters. If God was a scientist, he would have made a hundred volumes. He's not trying to impress us. He chooses specific things to teach us. The land and the people, listen to me carefully. The land and the people always go together. They are never separated. The constant attempt to make a two-state of Israel is unbiblical. And whoever tries, fights against God. Read Obadiah for, just for a sample. It'll never happen. There's never been a people, a race, or a nation that has existed without a homeland for more than three generations before being absorbed and totally lost. The Jews did it for 2,000 years. How? God. When you look at Israel, you can only have one answer. God. May 14, 1948. The authority was still the same. The covenant God. Yahweh. Notice God gave a second command. And work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. The work involved the house of God. The temple. The very heart of the center of the nation. You remember that the heart of the tabernacle was in the middle. And then all the tribes would be stationed around the perimeter. And they would break camp in certain ways. But the heart was the, the, the tabernacle. The word work means assemble, fashion, 
out of existing material. It's one of the three words that God uses in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 for the creation. First, he created bara out of nothing. Then he fashioned this word asa. And then he used the third word to build. But he first created everything out of nothing. This is one of the three words. Now, the greatest comfort and encouragement was uttered. Listen very carefully. I am with you. Now, if you're a parent, you know what a comfort that is to your child in the middle of the night when they're sick or scared, right? They're freaked out. All of a sudden, you say the words, okay, I'm good. We're just the same. That's why it's important that your ear be tuned to God. No one can hear God for you. You have to hear God. The assured protection for them was given. Says the Lord of hosts. All capital letters. The covenant God still. But hosts means the captain of the armies of heaven. There's the protection. The phrase appears 14 times in the book. Two chapters. 38 verses. Do the math. Man, there is a great army in this book. (laughs) Notice God wanted the people to live as the covenant people in the present. As they had in the past. Verse 5. All God was declaring by and through Haggai was that he had promised this in his word. He's not giving them anything different. Listen to the words. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. God is just reminding them of what he had promised them. God can't lie. When God delivered the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, he laid it all out. He made a covenant with them in Mount Sinai. The two tablets of stone and all those statues, all the laws, all the things. God stipulated blessings and cursings that he would bring upon them if they obeyed or disobeyed. Whenever you have God's judgment on people in the restoration in the Old Testament, always go to Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 27 and 28. That's the blessings and the cursings. And by the way, he keeps his word. He says, I will bless you or I will chase you and persecute you. Wow. He put them in captivity. The judgment of God was behind them now. Listen. So my spirit remains among you. God is encouraging them. The chastening is over. He's doing a new work. The Shekinah glory had departed from Jerusalem in the temple, as you know, when Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel eleven twenty three, It just went away because of all the sin, all the idolatry and all. Now God's spirit remained among them. He was there. In the midst of whatever you're in, God is with you if you're walking with him. The valley of the shadow of death, thou fear no evil. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Fear results in a lack of faith. And fear paralyzes us to do nothing for God. It cripples us. Just like Peter trusted Jesus to walk on the water. He says, Lord, bid me to come to you. He says, come. And he walked. But then he got his eyes off the Lord. He looked upon the storm. And that said, Lord, save me. That occasion isn't there for me to criticize. It's for me to realize I'm just like Peter. If I get my eyes off the Lord, same exact thing. Maybe you have um, seen better days in your Christian life. And the reality is that it doesn't look that good right now. But God wants you to trust in Him, even in your discouraged condition. As you walk by faith, not by sight, not by emotions. It could be a rocky marriage. 
could be a rebellious a wayward son or daughter you fill in the blank it's not impossible for God to work on your behalf so God doesn't force us but if we will yield and trust him for it it's amazing the beauty he can make out of ashes it's amazing Pastor Xavier Ruiz reminding us God's glory can bring us a new light when we need it the most. Encouraging simple truths from the prophet Haggai today. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request a CD copy of this timely study titled The Greater Glory of the Temple. As always, they're available for just $4. And make sure you share this helpful insight with your brothers and sisters in the Lord once you're through. The title to ask for once again is The Greater Glory of the Temple. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485 Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107 And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com